If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to 2 Chronicles. And you might guess where I'm going. 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 in the precious Word of God this morning. I pray that you do have your Bible with us, uh, with you. Now listen, if you're visiting for the first time here in person or first time online, uh, you have encouraged my heart this morning uh, by being here. I would encourage you, if you walked in after the announcements, uh, text the word visitor. Just simply text the word visitor to 540-306-6800. And uh, that way you'll find a a virtual connection card free of COVID-19. You can fill it out. And yeah, absolutely. And uh, only thing I ask on that virtual connection card is that you... If there's something that we could be praying with you about, for you, or a loved one, or a co-worker, let us know that so that we can have a part in praying for you, and uh, we'll be happy to uh, serve you in any way that we can. Now, this morning, I want us to jump right in, and then uh, I want us to do something a little bit different at the end of our service, and so stay with me, and I pray that the Lord will bless our time in His Word. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Well, one familiar verse of Scripture, and then one that maybe you have ignored over the years. I want you to draw your attention, beginning in verse number 14. Verse number 14. We're going to read a couple of verses. Verse number 14. God says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. But what I want you to draw your attention to is verse number 15. Because the Bible goes on, and God says, Now mine eyes shall be opened, and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the songs that we were able to sing. And God, just a good time to be able to gather together in your house and certainly uh, inside free from the rain. But Lord, we thank you for the rain as you replenish your earth. God, we're so grateful for the rain. We're thankful for the sunshine. And God, how you use all these things, the different seasons of life, not only to bring about growth, but Lord, to bring about healing and transformation. Lord, I pray that today that our ears would be open and our hearts might be receptive to what you have to say to us this morning. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for what you'll do. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray and for his sake. Amen and amen. You know, it's been said, I want to start with a quote. It's been said that all scripture, all scripture is written for us, but not all scripture was written to us. All Scripture is written for us, but not all Scripture was written to us. And uh, such is the case with our opening verses. You know, over the years, verse number 14, quite honestly, has been quoted and misused over and over without regard for its original location, the original content, the original context of Scripture. And I can assure you that's neither my intent or goal this morning. Because what we know is we understand that the setting of this text was taking place Back in the Old Testament, uh, at the dedication of the temple, and you remember the temple 
is that which David had prepared for. David thought he was going to build up the temple for God, and God said, no. He said, you're just going to prepare. But it was the temple that David prepared for, but also the temple that his son Solomon was blessed by God to build. And what we know from this passage is that God is speaking to Solomon and the children of Israel. Quite honestly, if you go back to chapter 6, you'll see beginning in verse number 12 that that's where Solomon begins to pray. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful prayer. I'd encourage you to read the whole uh, passage surrounding these different chapters in this, in this part of 2 Chronicles. And uh, Solomon begins praying back in chapter 6 in verse number 12. And the point I want to make is that although this text may not have been written, have may, may not have been written to us, I believe that this text was still written for us. Let me say that again. Although it may not have been written to us, I believe it was still written for us. And I believe that we can look in Scripture and find something that we might be able to apply to our lives today. Yes, on the Sunday before elections and everybody is whatever side you're on. Can I tell you, I'm not fearful one bit. Because come Tuesday, and I'm kind of stealing thunder from the end of this little devotion sermonette, come Tuesday, come Wednesday, come whenever they decide to count the votes. Guess who's still on the throne? He's still King of Kings. He's still Lord of Lords. Like I've said before to you guys, Jesus has not abdicated. He will not abdicate his throne to anyone. He's still, he's still going to be in charge. And so if your heart is hurting on Tuesday night or Wednesday, or your celebratory. Just remember, Jesus is still the one in charge. As I said to somebody yesterday, he is large and in charge. And we better not forget that, amen? The point I want to make is that it might this text may not have been written specifically to us, but I believe it was written for us. In fact, if you and I were to go where the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Here's what we would find. He writes these words teaching us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And that word profitable means it is, it is uh, helpful or it is advantageous. Now watch what he says. It's profitable for doctrine. What's right? He says it's profitable for doctrine. What's right? For reproof. What's not right? For correction. How to get right? and for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. So when we think about this text, we know that God has a plan to use this text, not even not just with the children of Israel and Solomon back then, but for you and I today. Verse 17 of, of uh, 2 Timothy 3 goes on. It says that it's all scriptures given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Then you go to verse 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished, fully equipped unto all good works. Folks, the Holy Spirit of God not only inspired all those who wrote Scripture, but He continues to inspire. He continues to give supernatural assistance, if you please, to you and I as we read Scripture, to you and I as we heed Scripture, and to you and I as we actually make application of Scripture. And so while there may be an interpretation of Scripture that we could look at in this passage, 
There's also an application that you and I can take away some principles from God's Word and put into our life. Now look back at our opening text in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The Bible says, If my people which are called by my name. Now let's jump to the New Testament. If you're a Christ follower, you are called what? A Christian. You have been labeled. You are identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether somebody says, I'm a believer, or I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian. The point is, you are called by God's name. It's not, I mean, people call me Greg. Uh, I just make sure that I'm not called late for supper, right? But the reality is, I have a name, Christian. And that makes a big impact on how I'm supposed to live my life. Now notice, it says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, hello, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, I, I don't want to discourage anybody, but that last promise there about healing a land is not written for you and for me. Although I think we would all love it too, and you guys are like, well, I'm just closing up the book right now. Well, it was written specifically to the nation of Israel in that time. And so we have to understand what do we see in this passage? What can we identify that are principles and promises that apply to you and I, and then move on from there? Earlier this week, it's crazy, I was thinking about how Jesus, you, you might remember this, how Jesus went into the temple in Matthew chapter 21. By the way, this is the second time he goes in and uh, he's upset. And in, chap in uh, chapter 21 and verse number 12, you know that Jesus, he's trying to cleanse the temple out. And verse 12 reveals how he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of them which sold doves. But if you look at verse 13, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 21 verse 13. He says, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Can I kindly say that Jesus was confronting those then that his temple had become polluted? So in other words, what Jesus was saying, he's saying, it's time to clean up. Hello? He says, it's time to clean up. It's time to get things straight. It's time to put things back in order. And can I lovingly say today, I believe by the very authority of God's word that Jesus is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, it's time to clean up. It's time to get the pollution out, church. Remember last week we talked about that principle that Peter shares in 1 Peter 4, 17. He says that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. And while we would love for um, the politicians to clean things up, while we would love for the local county government and the local town governments to clean things up, that falls to you and me as Christ followers. It's time to clean up. It's time to put things back in order. I think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 13. Paul writes these words. He says in verse number 11 and 12, he says, And knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I believe now more than ever, folks, Sunday before election day, it's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. It's time to wake up and it's time to clean up. You remember last week I, I referenced the fact that we are 
ambassadors for Christ. And remember, when I was referencing the fact that we're ambassadors for Christ, I said we must do the job of an ambassador. An ambassador represents who they're ambassador for. If I'm an ambassador from the United States to another country, I go and I represent that country. Well, guess what? As Christ followers, the Bible says that you and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ so that when we walk out these doors, when we walk out of our homes, when we're in the marketplace, when we're in the workplace, we are His representatives. Therefore, all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions should be that which becometh the one who we represent. And so we must wake up. It's time to represent Jesus. It's like that song. And it was funny, some of the songs that we were singing this morning made me think of this the other day. You, you remember the childhood song, This Little Light of Mine. Right? Anybody know that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But if you go on, what do they say next? Hide it under a bushel. Oh, some of you got aggressive. And that's the way we sing this song. Remember, it's hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, that's where we are, folks. We need to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father. Not glorify us, but glorify the one whom we represent. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He writes these words. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? He says, If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy the temple of God. Watch this is what? Say it with me. You guys got to wake up. The rain is putting you to sleep. You've let the rain lull you to sleep. He says the temple of God is holy. And then he says which temple you are. Folks, holiness will not and cannot condone, watch it, unholy choices. Uh-oh. Hold on. In everything. Holiness will not and cannot condone unholy choices and it cannot and will not condone unholy behavior. It's high time to wake out of our sleep. We've been lulled to sleep. Remember I said a few weeks ago, we're reading today what we tolerated yesterday. All my friends, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this again. He writes it in a different way. He says, what? Question mark. He says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Why would the Holy Ghost be in them? Because Jesus Christ took up residency and guess what? He said, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. He will comfort you. He was telling his disciples, remember? The Holy Spirit has taken up residency inside of the heart of everyone that calleth upon the name of the Lord. Watch, he says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. Watch what he says, verse 20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore, what does he say to do? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Folks, God's glory is paramount. My feelings are not. How we feel is not what's most important. The glory that we bring God is of paramount importance. 
how we live our lives. Are we living holy as He is holy? First Peter talks about that, being holy as He is holy. Is that how we're living our lives? Is that the example we're setting? Because see, we're all consumed today. Maybe that's why it's so quiet in here. Everybody's anxious and nervous. And Folks, quit being anxious and nervous. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you haven't voted, go vote. Do your part. I get, I get crazy. I, I really do. I get crazy when people talk all about the situation of the day and then they say they're not going to vote. Somebody asked me, Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Pastor, is it true? Is it true that there's a bunch of pastors who are not going to vote because they really can't condone either, either person or either platform? I was like, uh, never heard that. Never heard that. I don't know who you're talking to, but I've never heard that. Folks, I would tell you, you better get out and vote. And remember what I said a few weeks ago, you better vote some biblical values. Not my values, because my values are flawed. But God's values are not flawed. We need to vote his values. Anyway, that's a different message. I know. <laughs> Dina, That's right. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, guys, because I love, I love to love people. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But when we as Christ followers are consumed with our own thoughts and our own ways instead of what thus saith the Lord, there's no way. See, the promise was God says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, watch, if they'll humble themselves, if they'll watch, pray, if they'll watch, seek my face, watch the glass, and they'll turn from their wicked ways, then he says, I'll hear. Then he says, I'll forgive. Then he says, I'll bring about healing. And it's crazy to think that God's going to hear us. It's crazy to think that God's going to forgive us individually and corporately. It's crazy to think that He's going to bring any measure of healing in our lives if we're consumed with our own thoughts and our own ways. You see, His promise there to hear, to forgive, and to heal was a conditional promise. In fact, in the same chapter, look back at 2 Chronicles 7. In the same chapter, He actually, a little bit further down, He actually says, listen, uh, I'll, I'm going to hear you, he says, if you repent. It's a conditional promise. If you, you know, if you humble yourselves, if you pray, if you seek my face and you turn from your wicked ways, if you have a change of mind, if you understand that the way that you're going is wrong and you turn from that wicked way, he says, then I'm going to do some big things. So now watch what happens. Uh, look down at verse number 19. Because here's what the Word of God says. It says, but if you turn away, <laughs> but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I've set before you and shall go and serve other gods and worship them. Does that sound familiar today? We're living in a country, quite honestly, where people are worshiping and serving other gods. Jesus has taken, uh, it's kind of like that song, uh, or no, it's not even the song. It's like we've put Jesus in the back seat and we're taking the wheel. Instead of Jesus taking the wheel, we've put him in the back seat and said, hey, here's a lollipop, we got it from here. Right? No, no. He says, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, notice verse 20, then will I pluck them up by roots out of my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified or set apart for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high 
shall be an astonishment to everyone that passes by it, so that he shall say, What hath the Lord done? The, why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? Verse 22, and it shall be answered. Here's the answer. Why did God do it? Because they forsook the Lord of God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought this uh, brought all this evil on them. Folks, I don't know about you, this is the law of sowing and reaping back in the Old Testament. Remember, in other places of the Old Testament, God was pretty serious. He says, hey, I want to give you blessing, but choose either life or death. Blessings or cursings. This is the law of sowing and reaping. In fact, if we go to the New Testament, we know that Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, it echoes it. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. As I was thinking about this verse this week, I was thinking about my grandpa Corcoran. My grandpa Corcoran was quite the farmer. And uh, I remember as a child, after my, you know, even before and after my mother passed away, I, I was out in Illinois and I got to spend a lot of time with my grandpa Corcoran. And and he was an amazing man, and I remember I was amazed by all the fruits and vegetables that he could grow. And, uh, you know, they, they call it, you know, the green thumb. He, he obviously had the green thumb, and we know that, uh, we understand that it's God who sends the rain and the sunshine and allows uh, crops to grow. But there was a principle that I learned from my Grandpa Corcoran and his ability in farming. And here's the principle. Whatever my Grandpa Corcoran sowed, you get it? See, if he sowed tomato plants, guess what? He got tomatoes. If he sowed corn, back when I could eat corn, whew, we got a lot of corn. If he sowed strawberry patch, guess what? We got strawberries. In fact, I got a picture of me when I was a little baby and my head was about this big, it looked like the strawberry was as big as my face. There was a principle that I learned. Whatever he sowed, that's exactly what he would harvest or reap. And the same is true with us. Because you see, right after verse number 7, Galatians 6, 7, I said verse 8, but it was verse 7, is verse number 8. And verse number 8 says this, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Folks, I believe that so many people today are working overtime, sowing to the flesh. What I can get, what I can gain, what my family can have, what yours can't, what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. We're sowing to the flesh instead of sowing to the Spirit. And quite honestly, we wonder why our lives... We wonder why our churches, our communities, our state, our country, we wonder why this world is waxing worse and worse. I believe the Lord is sounding the alarm. I believe He's sounding the alarm today. And I know I took a poll last week and asked how many had voted and how many hadn't voted. I believe, I believe we're in the midst of reaping what we have sown. And so we best be on our uh, on our knees and wake up. Friends, as Christ followers, it's time to wake up and to clean up. And so I would just simply suggest we need to stop sowing some things. And so write them down very quickly.
because I don't want to belabor them uh, this morning, but I want us to write them down. Number one, I think we need to stop sowing pride. We get, we're living in a country right now that quite, quite honestly is, is smothering with pride. Pride stands in opposition of God, folks. That's the only best way I can put it. Pride stands in opposition of God. In fact, Wednesday night, if you were here the past couple of Wednesdays, we've been talking about how to speak, uh, the, the power of speech, and then how to speak from the book of Proverbs. And you know that in Proverbs chapter 6, in verse number 16 and following, the Bible indicates all these things that are an abomination to God. In other words, God hates them. And did you know that number one on God's hate list is a proud look? And to be honest, let's just be honest. I'm as American as they come. I'll be honest with you guys. I love the flag. I love our country. I, I served in, I was a glutton for punishment. I served in the Marine Corps, and then I served in the Army, and they told me I was too old to do the Navy and the Coast Guard and the Air Force. They said, hey, bro, you just got to retire. Like, you can't do this forever, right? But can I tell you, when we get so proud that we forget God, we're in trouble. We get to the point where we think we're all that in a bag of chips. Without God's help, we're in trouble. Oh, listen, the Old Testament word translated as pride literally means to rise or to swell up. It refers to the rise of the waves of the sea or the idea, it speaks of men and women who think more of themselves and more of their abilities than they do God. That's what pride is all about. And folks, I can tell you this, the flesh is proud. That's why we have to be careful of sowing to the flesh. Pride says this. It says, I don't need God. I can make it on my own. I know what's best for me. And guess what? I'll call the shots. Little fun fact for you. When we sow pride, do you know that when you sow pride, when I sow, when I sow pride, we are actually following the example of the devil. How dare you say you, I'm following the example? Well, that's That's biblical. Because in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 13, the Bible tells us that the reason Lucifer fell, you remember that beautiful angel? The reason he fell was pride. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I will ascend. I will do this. It was all about pride. He was on his own individual pride ride. And so when we walk in pride, when we get all puffed up, when the children of Israel were all puffed up with pride, God says, hey, listen, you need to humble yourselves. And you know, I learned a long time ago, either we humble ourselves or somebody else will. A lot of people walk around with their halo on too tight, thinking they're something when they're really nothing. Isn't that what we talked about, the Laodicean church last week? Jesus said, because thou sayest I'm rich, because thou sayest I'm increased with goods, and you don't know that you're miserable, you're, miserable, you're wretched, you're poor, you're naked. He says, listen, you need to buy me gold. You need to buy me white raiment so that you could be clothed. He was talking about pride. In fact, Lucifer's fall is very similar to what you find in Obadiah. Obadiah chapter 1 and verse number 3 alludes to the fact that pride is a deceiver. Notice it says this, The pride of thy heart hath deceived thee. Folks, God's not going to hear. He's not going to forgive. He's not going to heal when we're on this continual ride of pride. James 4, 6 tells us that when we're living in pride, that God actually resists us. See, when you're filled with pride, 
James says, God resists the proud. Proverbs 15, 25, the Bible says, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Proverbs 16, 18, here's a big one. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. However, humility is what God requires. He says, my people need to humble themselves. They need to get rid of their prideful thoughts, their prideful looks, their prideful ways, and they need to humble themselves. And the word humble means this, to bend the knee or to bring down, to place self under another. You see, God wanted the children of Israel then, and he wants you and I now to realize that you and I cannot make it on our own. We need him every hour we need him. Micah asks and answers a question in Micah 6, verse number 8. He says, And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? James 4, verse number 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Listen, we got a lot of people trying to lift themselves up instead of letting God do the lifting. 1 Peter 5, in verses 5 and following, God says, For God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. And, J and, and Peter goes on, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then I love verse 7, he says, Casting all your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. By the way, I said when we sow pride, we're actually following the example of the devil. When we sow humility... You know whose example we're following? Jesus. We're following Jesus. Isn't that what Philippians 2 and verse 8 tells us? We're following the example of Jesus because in Philippians 2.8, I find that Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so there's a difference. God says here, he says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. We need to quit sowing pride. We need to quit sowing prayerlessness. I said, uh, God's pretty serious about this idea of pride. Can I tell you that uh, he's pretty serious about this issue of prayer? It was clear then that he wanted his people to pray, and it's clear now that God wants us to pray. In fact, when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 5 and following, he says, when thou prayest. You know what the implication is, right? That you're going to actually pray. But see, I have always said many times that we don't pray because we don't pray. And some of you are thinking, what? Where does that come from? The reason we don't pray is we don't pray. So we don't pray, and then when the pastor or your husband or your wife or your children, they come to you and say, hey, Mom, Dad, can we pray for our country? Can we pray for our church? Can we pray for our neighbors? Can we pray for Grandpa? Can we pray for Grandma? Can we pray for Uncle whoever or Auntie whoever? And, and we just don't do it. You want to know why? Because when we do it, we would have to admit to God, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it's been so long since I've talked with you. See, that's all. God just wants us to have this, this communication line open with him. When we get on our knees in prayer, he wants us to have a dialogue with him. You say, does he really need us to have a dialogue with him? Hey, he's God, I'm not, and neither are you. But one thing I know is his word says we're to pray. And Jesus said, I already shared it with you. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Get rid of all this stuff that makes no, no impact on eternal things. Get it out of my temple. By the way, 
Our bodies are the living temple of the Holy God. Get rid of all these things. Don't make a difference. Don't make an iota of difference. And pray. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. It's been said that the lack of prayer, the lack of prayer is the first cousin to pride. <laughs> but Philippians 4, the Bible tells us this, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. My friends, can I simply say pride? Actually, it's like pride spills over into the lack of prayer. It spills over into a lack of prayer because, see, we don't pray because we don't pray, but pride is many times the reason we don't pray. Do you know that less people come to the altar after a service than ever before in 2020? Statistics show fewer and fewer people are coming to the altar. You want to know why? It's called pride. It's called pride. You say, well, how do you know you're up there on the platform? Because I used to sit right down there. I wasn't always a pastor. And guess what? That old dirty devil. By the way, can I give you some good advice? Don't listen to him. Don't listen to the devil. Hello? Oh, my goodness. Can someone set an alarm for it to go off? I say don't listen to the devil, and you guys are like, Pastor. I have blueberry muffins at home. I need to go to lunch. Don't listen to the devil. He's a liar and a murderer. Thank you, Wes and others, for waking up. He's a liar. Why would I listen to him? That's what's going on. By the way, it's not only going on individually. It's going on in our churches. It's going on in our community. It's going on in our country that we don't want to listen to what God has to say because we're too busy listening to what the devil has to say. The reason people, the reason we walk around in fear and anxiety and, and worry and everything is because the devil has duped our minds. The devil has played a trick. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. He's a ruler. He's an accuser of the brethren. And it's about high time that we awake and stop listening to the devil. By the way, that's not even in my notes. It's crazy to me. I run into people all the time. It's like, and by the way, this is encouraging today, but I'm going to have to separate chairs even more. I'm going to have to move chairs further. This is a beautiful sight, and I'm so excited that we have more visitors today. We have a lot of faces that I haven't seen in a long time back in God's house as the way it should be, right? But but I'm also conscious that we have to be safe and be smart, right? And so here's the thing. Stop listening to the devil. Do you know there's no more COVID in this room than there is at Walmart? There's no more COVID. This isn't in my message either, but anyway. I guess it's gone off the rails. There's no more COVID in this room than there is in a restaurant. There's no more COVID in this room than there is at Lowe's, which I actually go to Lowe's. All right, so I've been to Home Depot too, if you're a Home Depot worker. I'm an equal opportunity shopper. I know. You're like, don't go to Home Depot. Only to Lowe's. I know. Guys, what are we doing? I want to be smart. I want to be safe. 
Yeah, you got Home Depot sitting right beside you. That's why I said that to James. By the way, James, I saw you the other day when Krista and I went into Home Depot too. Don't y'all fight. I know. It's like, it's like putting a Republican and a Democrat together. I don't want any fights. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. We don't pray. We don't pray because pride. We don't come to the altar because I'm afraid of what somebody might think if I get up out of my chair and go to the altar. I wish we'd get back to the point where we worry about what God thinks and less about what somebody else thinks. By the way, if that person really has a heart for God, they'd be beating their feet to get up here and pray with you. They'd be celebrating the fact that you're at the altar. Whether you're coming to praise the Lord, or whether you're coming to seek His face in prayer, whether you're coming to ask for healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, or whatever it is. Maybe you just want to come and celebrate all that God has done for you. Man, what happened to the time when God's people humbled themselves and were willing to pray? This is what God is saying in this passage. And I wonder why we're in the fix we're in. It's because we're walking full of pride and we're walking without prayerless, without prayer. Before his passing in 1994, was evangelist Leonard Ravenhill who said these words. He said, the church is dying on its feet because it's not living on its knees. There are so many passages that you and I could look for in support of this condition of prayer, but I simply want to stay in the same passage that we're at. So look at verse number 1 in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Because here's what happens right after Solomon finishes his prayer. Remember I said he starts it over in chapter 6 in verse number 12. And when he finishes his prayer, I want you to see what happens. In verse number 1 it says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and how the glory of the Lord was upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the what? Got news for you. Pavement means pavement. And worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, for He is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Then the king, notice what they did. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Folks, if you go to the New Testament, James chapter 5 actually celebrates the same promise by saying that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You want to see fire come down? And you want to see the glory of the Lord fill this place? Then we better humble ourselves and get back on our knees in prayer individually and corporately. We need, number three, to stop sowing poor priorities. See, see, God's Word says, seek my face. I think another problem is we are sowing poor priorities in our life. Let me ask a question. What is it that you seek day in and day out? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it, thank you, Lord, for giving me another day? Or is it, oh, God, help me. What is it that you think as soon as you wake up? What is it that you are saying and praying and praising as you lay down at night? Oh, listen, God said, seek my face. He was and He still is saying to you and I that I am to be priority number one. The word seek means search out by any method. 
specifically in worship and prayer. The word face actually refers to the countenance. The idea or the implication is turning towards God's direction to seek His face. In the New Testament, you can see this being personified again. When Jesus actually says this, he puts, uh, when Paul writes rather to the church at Coloss, he says this, If you be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. Similar to what Jesus says, I jumped the gun. Jesus said, remember over Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And He was talking about, remember there was a conflict. If you read that passage earlier, there's a conflict. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve mammon? And he says, hey, quit worrying. Quit taking thought about what's going to happen tomorrow. Quit worrying about that because God's got it in control. Whatever's going to take place tomorrow is going to happen. So you worrying about tomorrow doesn't change it one iota. By the way, typically when we worry about tomorrow, tomorrow comes and then it's totally different than what we worried about. So we have to just give it over to God's control. And here's the deal. When Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it wasn't, he wasn't saying, it, it, it wasn't about seeking God's face so that you can get what you can get out of God. It's like he said in the Beatitudes when he said, uh, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, he, he wants us to love him for who he is, not what he can do. Who he is, not what he can do. James 4 and verse number 8 reminds us to draw nigh to God. And then he'll draw nigh to you. It goes on, if you read it, it says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify yourself. Listen, God wants us to quit sowing poor priorities and to begin to seek his face. It's all about our priorities. So I must ask the question, and you must ask the question, what do your priorities say about you? What do your priorities say about you? Finally, we need to stop sowing polluted lifestyles. <laughs> Got a rousing amen on that one. We need to stop sowing polluted lifestyles. The Bible says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Folks, if you want to hear from God, if you want Him to forgive your sins, if you want Him to begin to bring about some type of healing in your life individually, Here's a formula for success right here in God's Word. You know, we can't say one thing and live in complete opposition to what we say. You know what that's called? It's called hypocrisy. To say one thing and to live completely in opposition to what we say. Can I say this? Our country's in a fix. Can I say it again? Our country's in a fix. I know it, and you know it. I don't care where you sit politically. Our country's in a fix. If you can't see it, then as Paul wrote to the Church of Rome, it's high time to wake up. If you can't see it, it's like God said to the church back at the time of the dedication of the temple. It's time for my people to humble themselves. It's time for my people to pray. It's time for my people 
to seek my face, to get back to setting their affections on things above and not on things of the earth. It's high time that my people will turn around, have a change of mind, and start walking in righteousness instead of sinfulness. I put down in my notes and I added it yesterday. I was thinking about what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5. In verse 20, and I know I didn't ask for that, but if you want to throw it up, guys, that's great. You see, we're living in a time where people are calling evil good and good evil. We're living in a time where people are placing darkness for light and light for darkness. We're living in a time where bitter is, is called sweet and sweet is called bitter. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And the reality is that you and I, this church, this community, this state, this nation, and this world, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loved this world. By the way, He created it. We're reaping what we've sown. God said, here it is. It's a beautiful earth. I've blessed I've given you everything. I've even given you a way to, to deal with sin. I even planned for that. I've even planned for an eternity, a beautiful eternity in a beautiful place called heaven. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples when he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come again. And I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. That's the God we serve. But we're reaping some bad things. And quite honestly, beyond elections, can I just be honest? It's time to make a choice. Last week I said, your choice 2020. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You got to make a choice, sir. Ma'am, young person, you got to make a choice. It's not my choice. I got to make a choice too. If my wife can't make that choice for you, I can't make that choice for you. If you're watching and worshiping online, we can't make that for you. You've got to make that choice. But I would say that it's time to stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross. It's time to let our light so shine. Not hide it under a bush. It's time to get real honest. Maybe it's been a long time since you actually got honest with God. You know, I think we do that a lot. Sometimes we live our life and we think, oh, God's so good. He's so gracious. It's no big deal. This, this little sin that gets us off track. Can I tell you something about sin? By the way, I think we, we, we need a season of repentance in this country. We need a season of repentance. And I believe it needs to begin right here. Right here today. You know, Jesus, the Bible says the disciples turned the world upside down. There are a lot more people in this room than we find in Scripture at that point. You know, sins like this. My wife gave me this illustration, so I have to give her the props. So I have trouble closing my eyes, sleeping. And I know I'm going to get a call from Sandy and tell me i got to get to the eye doctor tomorrow. When I close my right eye, it feels like, and I've washed it, I've put gel, gel drops, liquid drops. Man, I, 
I, I've, I've invested in all that stuff. But when I close this right eye, it feels like there's a little, I don't know, maybe you've had this happen, it feels like a little grit of sand. And when you close your eyes <clears throat> and it begins to fill with pain and you can't move your eye left or right, you can't do anything without it being uncomfortable. I remember one night I got out of bed and I must have squirted like, <laughs> she was like, you're killing yourself. I was like, <laughs> I thought I put the whole bottle of gel drops in this one eye. I came out, I had stuff in my face. I said, I can't see, I can't see. You know, sin's a lot like that. It's like that little speck under the eyelid. Doesn't have to be a big sin. It could be something really, really small. And I think what we do is we convince ourselves my husband doesn't know. My wife doesn't know. My children, my grandchildren don't know. So, Pastor, I'd appreciate it if you don't bring it up anymore. As if I know. What we do is we ignore it. Can I tell you, I learned a long time ago that little sins, they grow up to be big sins. Little lies, they grow up like children too, to be big lies. Oh, my friends, the Bible a couple weeks ago, I shared with you Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. I believe we need a change of mind. A change of mind, not about politics, but a change of mind about God and His Word. We need a change of mind about how we're living our lives. As His representatives, as His ambassadors, we need a change of mind how we're going to serve the Lord in 2020. And on into 2021, we need a change of mind, a season of repentance. The Bible says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. And verse 15 says, now mine eyes shall be opened and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. I believe that God's eyes are open, His ears are attent, and He wants to hear the prayers that will be made in this place. And Before we enter into a time of prayer, that's why I said we're going to do something a little different. Before we enter into that time of prayer, can I say this? No matter what happens Tuesday, again. No matter what happens in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, Thursday, Friday, two weeks from now, a month from now, whenever the votes are counted, I want to remind you to be comforted in the fact that Jesus, the Savior of the world, the great I Am, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending, the way, the truth, and the life, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Good Shepherd, the door. Oh, we could go on and on naming all the names that represent our king. He still will be king. 
Will He be the Lord of your life? See, just because I say it doesn't mean He's the Lord of your life. Doesn't mean He's your King. If you've never trusted Him, I pray that you wouldn't leave this place. I pray the Holy Spirit will put His heavy hand on you so that you will not leave this place. You will not turn off the computer at home until you trust Christ as your Savior. Oh, you see, the reality is, no matter what happens, my responsibility and your responsibility is still the same. It's going to be the same. It doesn't matter who takes up residency in the White House or whatever house. My responsibility is to humble myself. My responsibility is to pray. My responsibility is to see His face. My responsibility is to make sure I'm turning from my wicked ways. And the same is true for everyone in this room. The same is true for everybody that's watching online. I don't care whether you're in your kitchen, your dining room, your living room, or your bedroom. The same is true for you at home. And so I think that today, right now, would be a great time to begin. Humble yourself. Do something maybe that you haven't done in a long time, and maybe you're a regular prayer. That's great. I'm asking you to humble yourself. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you right now to seek the face of Almighty God. I'm asking you right now, whether it's a little sin like a speck in your eye, whether it's grown up, it's a big sin, whatever it is, I'm asking you to ask God, God, give me the strength, give me the power, give me the wisdom to forsake this, give me the ability to get rid of this sinful thought, sinful speech, sinful living out of my life. God, I want to bring you honor, I want to bring you glory, and Lord, I'm trusting that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. Lord, I'm trusting you to have your hand of mercy is what we need. We need his mercy on our country right now. We need his mercy in our life. You know, that's what I pray for all the time. Every day my wife's heard me probably say this, God, give us mercy. God, be merciful to us because we're a bunch of sinful people. We need your mercy. We already know that we have your grace and we don't want to trample on your grace. But what we need now, God, is we need a good dose of mercy. I'm asking you to do something that I don't typically ask you to do. I'm asking you to go to the Lord in prayer. Right now, I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm going to ask you to sit right where you are. It, listen, to, listen to me. If you want to get alone with your family in another recess of this room, this is very different, and if this is your first Sunday, we don't do this every Sunday, but I'm asking you to spend a couple of minutes alone with God. Humble yourselves, pray, seek His face, turn for your wicked ways. And you know what He said? He said, then I'm going to hear, then I'll forgive, and then I'll bring about some healing. Let's do it right now. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.